0: I think, you know, today as we're going to look at this passage, I've titled it just from the text in in Philippians 4, Rejoice in the Lord. Uh, I believe it is a conscious decision, but it's not a conscious decision that's just... um, rooted in fantasy or hopefulness, you know what I mean? It's actually rooted in the promises of God, revealed from his word that we have plenty to rejoice about, plenty to to take joy in. Now, because we're going to be starting just in this center section of a letter, you know, we're going to pick up on the latter part of chapter 3. That helps us to catch the context of the main point we'll look at there in chapter 4. Um, I do want to begin in, in verse 20, I'd like to read that with you, verse 20 of chapter 3 in Philippians, all the way down to verse 9 of chapter 4, and then we'll pray once again, and then we'll just kind of walk our way, work our way through this particular portion of Scripture. So let's just jump in. We see in verse 20 of chapter 3 in Philippians, for our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body, according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Chapter 4, verse 1. therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore, Iodia, And I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, Meditate on these things, the things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we have gathered in your name and been able to worship by way of music, as an expression of worship as well, we want to receive from your word, believing that you will reveal truth to us, that you'll bring comfort where we need comfort, that you, in your perfect way, will bring correction where correction is needed in our thoughts, in our life actions, in all that we are. We believe, God, that you will reveal and even awaken, unveil hope even more in our lives, that we will learn even from the study today what you will show us. We'll know more about you, God, about your grace, about your faithfulness, about your loving kindness and your compassion about all that you are. Lord, teach us your word. We know we need it individually. We need it as a group, as we would serve one another, as we would extend your love and hope and truth into the community and into the world beyond where you would take us and where you would connect us, God. And so form us and shape us for your purposes this day. We ask these things in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. All right, well, as mentioned, let's turn right around and jump back into verse Twenty there in verse twenty, we were able to see our citizenship is in heaven. Who you are affects how you are, correct? And when you know who you are, it'll it'll affect how you live. Um, if you, you know, have this mindset that you're 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 not smart, um, maybe somebody's even said to you, "You're stupid" or "Dumb." And if you if you believe that, you'll start living that way. You'll actually really restrict um, opportunities and various things. But if you know maybe you're not dumb, as a matter of fact, you're able to sh- realize that that person said that. They don't know what they're talking about. See, who you are affects how you are. If you know that you're a citizen of a, of a nation, you know you have citizenship. You have citizen rights. Agreed? there's things that we refer to and it's a it's a, it's a trumpet and it's one that's been sounded frequently for over 80, 90 years, you know, human rights, and then of course there's na- citizenship, national rights because of who you are. Well how much more when we consider the truth of Scripture, that you, that I, that we as born-again Christians who have received the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, as we're born again, born of the spirit, literally the God and the person of the Holy Spirit indwells us when that happens, when you're born again, you are a citizen of his kingdom and a child of the king that 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 you have to let that soak in not just your your cranium and your thought patterns but your very heart of heart, your soul, the depth of who you are, and realize what God has said about what He has done for you and who you are. Because when you're starting to grasp at it, as we hold on to this more and more, we start really, it just changes how we process things. I would just say this by way of outline. Remember your king and long for his return. Remember your king. Even long to see the king. See, our citizenship is in heaven. I'm not a, I was this first service and I, I just, well, I'm just not a real cheerleader type. You know what I'm saying? I don't go rah, 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 go team go. I'm like, don't do dumb things. You know, do the right thing. I'm not, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pro- glad that there's our, you know, those go team go people. I'm more of like, know who you are. Because when you know who you are, it affects how you are. And when I'm reminded, not because it's somebody telling me, yeah, you're one of these guys, go. No, because the word of God makes known to you and me that we are his children. We are part of the royal family as a child of God, a child of the king, a prince or a princess. And, and, and I know sometimes we, we can get inundated by life and get weighed down by just the, the repetitive. But if we'll just stop long enough just to remind ourselves who we are, according to the word of God. Here in this life, we endure. We're longing for home. Here we have these earthly bodies, soon a glorious body. You know, because of where we started there in verse 20, we picked up on the mindset and the reminder of someone who has a heavenly body and had this heavenly relationship. And we're going to carry that through. If we looked at verses 18 and 19, we just seen the mindset or the product of an earthly way of thinking or an earthly uh, mindset. Here we have earthly bodies, soon a glorious body. I like, as I was studying this and looking into it, the wording that you find in, in Old King James. King James Version reads this way in regards to verse 21. Who will change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body. What an interesting statement. He's revealing to you and me who we are here in these bodies doesn't compare to to what he has in store, even his glorious resurrected body. Jesus was resurrected in a new body, patterned after the old, yet equipped and fitted for heaven. We do have some accounts of of Jesus appearing after the resurrection. I think they're they're powerful as you look at him and how he he just appeared before people. He didn't have to; he chose to. Why did he choose to? I believe part of the reason he chose to was to put our minds at ease, put their minds at ease, and to be able to see this resurrected body, that body that he could he could literally like pass through walls. He could be at one place and then just like almost the speed of thought go to another place. Um He ascended heaven into heaven with that body, and yet they recognize that body and right away, believe that because you and I also will have a resurrected body, but currently we live in these frames to have a heavenly mindset while we're we 're living in this earthly realm until God retrofits this body, He did actually retrofit this body, think of it that way through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. And that enabled you and I to live in a way that we would honor the king. We we can live in a way that honors the king because he literally indwells us and enables us. We want to remember, too, that our citizenship is in heaven and we are passing through this realm. This is not home. The Bible declares about you and me as born-again Christians, those who have received the forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ, that we are distinct and different. Now, I believe you could say that about every human being. Agreed? There's no two people that are like. I find it fascinating that some people say snowflakes are all different too. But then they call people snowflakes, which is very fascinating. But nonetheless, you're different. Every one of us, whether it's age and maturity, visual look, the whole body chemistry, every aspect, personality, all the, we're different but there's something he says specifically about us in relationship to the king that we are distinct and different. We'll find it in 1 Peter. We'll bring it up on projection. You can turn there if you'd like in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, specifically verses 9 and 10. In regards to who we are as those who have received the forgiveness of God, those who are born again, born of the Spirit, you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. Stop right there. This is what God has to say about you and me. And so I, I don't need, I, 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 I benefit, but I don't believe I need, you know, that uh, boost, that, you know, that kind of the rah-rah thing. I'm, I'm just wired different. I, I, I know that's why you guys pray for me so much, because you know I'm wired different. I would go to Boise State football games back before they were popular, and so you could just get in mostly for free. And I could get anywhere in the, in the stadium, but I like to sit on the upper level, right at the 50-yard right line, right at the lowest point on the upper level. And I didn't jump up and down and the team I like to look at the game. I like to just see how it unfolded. I like to see, anticipate what play was coming. That's just how my brain processes the type of it. So everybody else is jumping up and screaming, like, sit down, I'm paying attention here. And so here's, you know, some, some are wired one way, others another. But let's make sure we understand. It, it's not this external expression as much as a internal realization. You and I, according to God, are very special to him. We are, it says in this text, not somebody just choosing something to build you up. It says of you and I, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood which conveys to the believers at that time that you have a part of 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 living for God and living with God and representing God we have that opportunity as royal priesthood a holy nation we're set apart as own special people notice it goes on to say that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. From this text, I think it's easy to see the encouragement, and I hope we can embrace it. And even after we leave here today and throughout this day and the days to come, we would think through what the Bible has to say about you, you as a person what god says about you as one who's received his forgiveness helps us it helps us to to know our place to know our purpose to remind ourselves and to remember who we are in his in relationship to him and because if god is for us who can be against us i mean seriously it's not a not a pompous thing it's a it's a relational thing if you're a child of the king and you are then then god says listen this is this is my direction for your life. This is my uh, instruction for my li- your life. This is how I empower you to live a, a life of purpose. Like, okay, I'm all in. I'd like to know that. So you see here, as, as we conclude for this portion of this text, that he invited you, brought you into this beautiful, special relationship, and he gave you a purpose, an opportunity, that you may live out the love you've been given that you may make known Harold proclaim these praises notice what he says that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into this marvelous light that your light would reflect your life would reflect the light of his presence and people may say you're different i mean they already say you're weird so don't worry about that but if they say you're you're different they're noticing something about you and you have that opportunity to to say okay well let me let me tell you what's different about me. Let me just say, because they'll they'll assume it's religion or some other thing you did or signed up for instead of till you verbalize realizing this is what's different. Let's let's journey back, keeping this thought we have here that this truth that we've un, we've looked at in First Peter two. Let's just move ourselves right back to Philippians chapter four, in verse one. Therefore, we've already looked in these two portions of Scripture to find out what therefore was there for. Because of who you are, my beloved and longed for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. I love the wording. We're going to see it in one of our other points as we move along. But we see it conveyed this importance of what we call koinonia, or fellowship, or or gathering together in his name. He, He Paul he says, "Like man, I just looked forward to seeing you guys. I looked forward to meeting you guys. He, there's a warmth and a beauty in his his, his engagement. But notice his exhortation is to stand fast in the Lord, to stand fast. It speaks of uh, to persevere, um, to to endure, to persist, to stand firm. Stand firm where again? To persist where again? In the Lord." You know, recognize that in this relationship with God, I, I want to stand firm. I want to make sure, I want to realize this is, this is the most important relationship. This relationship affects all other relationships. When this relationship gets out of whack, the other ones start going wacky as well. When this is in sync, when I'm understanding purpose, when I realize who I am in regards to my relationship with the King and how that enables me and empowers me to live this, this new life, there's a calmness of soul there, because this this text is speaking of standing fast. We've seen it already. A little later, it speaks of anxiety. Anxiety wells up when we are uneasy. Agreed. When you're uneasy, when you, you know you're not at peace with God. Now, now sometimes we're not at peace with God because we perceive we need to do more, we need to be more. We need to, to to fit into all of our perceived religious requirements, and that will ease somehow this this you know view God has upon us that' that's, that's not of the lord that's not of the Lord he doesn't condemn us he doesn't tell us to do more for me, do more for me. What well, we need to realize you know this this anxiety, this this lack of peace sometimes is due to our own perceptions and our own religious inclinations see We want to make sure that we are standing fast in the Lord, that we're dealing with this maybe unrest or uneasiness according to his word, not just how you feel. You may feel like you really are right with God. If you're referencing your relationship with God, if it's measured by your outward expression or your response to perceptions, it's kind of what we call being legalistic. You have to do all these things. I feel good, because why? Well, I did this, and I gave that, and I was there, and I was here to all this stuff. Well, what if we backed up a little bit? What if you understood that you're right in God's sight because all that he's done, and it is finished? And now what you do, what you would live for going forward was a result of love. It's because of who he is. We want to remember who he is and what he's done according to the word. See, Jesus taught you and me, as we look at the scriptures, as he taught the early disciples, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is now. Now is when we're to stand fast on the Lord. Now is when we're to recognize his presence and know his, his power, if you would. Maybe I can say it this way to help keep it in perspective. Keep eternity in view because this is not your home. As a born again Christian, this is not your home. Keep eternity in view. You should do what you do in a way that glorifies God. First of all, what you're doing should glorify God. If it's not glorifying God, why are you doing it? But as you realize it's something, maybe it's a job or a relationship you're in, it glorifies him, then the Bible says for you and me, according to Colossians 3, that whatever we do in word or deed, do it all as unto the Lord. So do the best you can do at what you're assigned to do in a way that glorifies him. And, and don't be a slacker. Sometimes Christians, you know, we, we, we can get this perspective like, eh, it doesn't matter. The Lord's going to return. Jesus is coming back. It's all good. All, eh. No, whatever you do, honor him. Whatever it is, but keep eternity in view. Realize, okay, I'm going to prepare for this and anticipate that, but I could be out of here any time but I'm still going to do the best that I can do because I think if we, we, when we keep eternity in view, we really honor the king. The first point I mentioned would be, remember your king and long for his return. Carrying us to verses two and three and even further, reconcile with your brethren would be the second point. Um, it's what I would say, hold a, a high regard for godly unity. Hold a high regard for godly unity. We see this in verse two and three. Where he encourages these two ladies to be of the same mind in the Lord. Imagine that in the early church, two people didn't agree on something. Fascinating. Now, I'm glad it's not that way now, right? I mean, it's like you just think about it. Here, I've heard people say, "Well, I wish the early, I wish this church was more like the early church. I wish now we we're more like the early church, the first century church." We are. You remember going through Corinthians together? You re- you read your New Testament. Bible, part of the Bible, most of the instruction is corrective to the first century, which it applies in this century. Be of the same mind, it says here. And really, it's just learning to reconcile. Value reconciliation. Reconcile. When possible, be a help and not a hindrance in reconciliation. There's a I, I thought this through as I was saying last service, and I think it's still going to be way up on the chart of, of understatements. Relational tension can cause great anxiety or worry. Yes or no? <laughs> Obviously, relational tension can create this response of, of worry and anxiety. But where to, where to work those things out. We're to, to, to choose to reconcile. Do you see what he's saying? Not only in verse 1, he longed to meet with the people. And not only in verse 2 and 3, where he's saying, hey, you know, these ladies are going to work this out, but you come alongside them and, and just get this thing reconciled. We're not even told what it is, which I think is so beautiful, masterful. Because if we were told what type of topic, then we'd focus on the topic. But we're not told about this or in this. you have to reconcile that because as humanity, we'd pick, oh, we only have to reconcile these things. We don't have to reconcile those because they're not listed. Well, guess what? You're told just to, to, to reconcile, to work these things out. How do you do that? Well, I believe it begins with the simplicity of recognizing the common ground in Christ. What common ground do we have? Do we have any likeness? Um, I, I've, over the years, have thought, you know, as I've been able to teach here and then in, in Boise for some time, and then just traveling and engaging and connecting, and how the body of Christ is so phenomenally diverse and it's and so amazing and, and so complex in an interrelational type of sense. But reconciliation is essential. Why is reconciliation is so important. Well, let me just say one more thing. Reconciliation is ongoing. It's, it's not a one-time one time thing. It's an ongoing reality. Agreed? As soon as you work out one situation, that helps you to then get ready as you move along. Boom, you're going to deal with the next situation. So it's an ongoing reality. We have to see that. It's not a, a task we can check off. It, it's a process. And why is it so important? I believe it's good... That we have to reconcile because reconciliation requires humility, a servant's heart, and a broad perspective. It's easy to have a narrow perspective. And when you disagree with somebody, it would be easy to reconcile if they would just agree with you. But when they disagree with you, you have to somehow persuade them how wrong they are and convince them how foolish they're being. And they're going to do the same thing to you. So it's not going to be reconciliation. But if you're humble and you're truthful and you're honest and respectful, you'll, okay, I don't understand where you're coming from. What, how, do you, how, do you, how do you defend that position? What do you, what's your point? And you start listening, your, your narrow view starts doing this, agreed? It's not a compromise of values. It's not a give a little to gain a little. It's just learning, okay, I want to, I want to hear their perspective. It's amazing what can be accomplished when people will actually listen to one another respectfully. It seems to be bartered away. Here, as we sit in twenty twenty point four, back in twenty twenty, things seem to be changing relationally. Everything made this fascinating shift to digital engagement, and it was something that worked. We were able to to discover. At that time, that you could work from home and do a lot of things from home, and, and I believe it was really a, a good, I think a healthy advancement in a lot of ways, but it also created this engagement that is through keyboard and keyboard courage and digital display is detrimental to healthy relationships It, it can good, it's good for sharing information. But you have to be able to just work out and and reconcile, and it takes a servant's heart. You gotta want to work some things out. The the, 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 the disciples, Jesus prays all night, picks the top 12, the apostles, okay, not the B apostles, not the second, not the C level, not the D team, the apostles, the A team. All night he prayed for them, he picked this band of misfits. He didn't find the ones with the right, equal, similar personality or economic status or, or social setting. It's a, it's a wide variety, an array of men. And I'm not saying that it was just these guys are going to do everything. But they, he used them to change the world. He used them and the 120 that were in the upper room and the, and the men and women that would just allow him to lead them through life. He literally changed the world if you, if you study history. What's interesting is they had to learn to work things out. Hours before the cross, functionally, they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest. And they had to work things out, had to reconcile. It requires a servant's heart, humility, and a broad perspective. There's some people, I don't want you looking around or pointing fingers. There's maybe some people in this room that you don't really get along with. Maybe when you walked in, they were on the left and you went to the right. I don't know. I know it's happened in church. I've done it. So uh, how do you work through that? Here's something to remember, especially if there's animosity. I've had this happen too many times. They come to me as pastor. Someone comes to me and says, do you know what this person said? Do you know what this person done has done? Do you know this person? I can't, become a, I, I, I can't worship in this church when I know that person's sitting here. I know what they've done. They need. I can't. They. They. You. How can you allow them here? Like, oh, okay. Well, my my bad. I thought this is where sinners were supposed to be. I I thought even saved sinners, forgiven sinners, were supposed to be able to come here. And and it's really an awkward conversation. I I don't even want to try to guess how many times I've had this type of conversation. And and I and I find it interesting because like no, they can't be here. And and they end up eventually either storming off or disappearing. But I have, I have two things that I ask people in those situations. When they say, hey, if this person is this situation and that scenario, I go, okay, well, let me just ask this. When you, when you engage with them, when you, this all come up, did you follow the rules? Well, not all the rules, just one. Did you, did, what, what rule? What do you mean? Like, well, there's this one that's really, really cool. It's kind of golden. It's a pretty cool rule. Did you treat them the way you would want to be treated? Well, of course I did. <laughs> you really shouldn't lie in church. It's like you, you, the way you described it—you you didn't, you wouldn't want to be treated that way. And then my next question—and I don't, I don't, I don't like—I just let you work it out. Or I have to because this is actually like, how I have to work through life. So, did you treat them the way you'd want to be treated? Second question: Did you do it in love? Did you do it in love? And it's easy, honestly, when we're defending a position. Well, of course I did. I love them so much I knew that if they didn't change their ways, they're, they're not going to make it. They're, they're in bad shape. Like, listen to yourself. Isn't it fascinating that oftentimes those conversations go to, and I don't even think they're saved. How quick the, the jump. They surely they couldn't be so unlike me. And still be saved. That's what they would be saying. I'm like, oh, really? Why Why do I share these things? Not because there's a present issue. This is just stuff I've worked through as a young Christian. And and here's what God really kind of shocked me on in a good way. There are names in the book of life. You see what we're looking at here, whose names are in the book of life. There are names in the book of life that you would not put there. And everybody said, Yep. There's somebody, there's that person, there's that neighbor, there's that uncle, there's that some coworker whatever. You're like, "Oh, they talk like a Christian, but they're not saved. There's no way they can be." Guess what? You wouldn't put their name there, but he did. You have to deal with it. Now, how do you deal with it? Well, I don't I'm not saying that we overlook everything, but you see what's happening? Choose unity over division even when it's not easy. And sometimes you just agree to disagree. It's not an essential doctrine. It's not about the deity of Jesus Christ. It's not about anything other than a sidebar. And you're just like, okay, we're we're good with this. How would our world change even now outside of the church if people could agree to disagree respectfully and move forward? It actually creates a stronger society when differing viewpoints can be respected and find a neutral ground. But nonetheless, for us, reconcile with your brethren. The last verse in there that was a really big help for me as well, I believe it is for you, is Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, where we're told that we, as followers of Christ, the context there in Ephesians chapter 4, we're, we are endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, think about that endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. That means you have something. You have the unity of the Spirit. It's present. But what do you do with it, according to that verse? You endeavor to keep it, which means it's work to reconcile. It's work to work. It's it's not easy to work these things out, but we as, as followers of Jesus Christ are exhorted to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Let's move on to our next point which would be found in verse 4 back in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So it's something to remember especially as you know, we face there's something, what's that? There's something uh, some, November, November there's something going on. I think they do it every four years. I, I You know, it's just like Big marketing scam and a bunch of other social stuff and political stuff. But anyway, whatever. Coming into it, I've noticed that there's this like anticipation, frustration, and it's just downhill. And it's not just that one. There's other buzz things. There's other things. There's other issues. Do you know we're instructed to rejoice in the Lord always? And again, I will say rejoice as a reminder. Life is meant to be enjoyed, not just endured. And we as believers, more than anyone else, because we know according to the promises of God and what God has done, we are forgiven. We know according to his word, we're born again. We know according to his word that we are children of the king, that we will endure here and and, and do life here, but we of all people have the greatest hope. So why is it more, why are there more Eeyores than there are Tiggers? You know what I'm talking about? Why are there more who are like, no, I hear this and I think, oh, boy. Years ago, I had this person. I'm not making this up. It just uh, the words bring me not entirely to the letter, but this is the thought. Well, I'm glad Jesus is coming back. I'm looking forward to his return. So, you know, it's got to get by until the time comes. Wow, you have got me convinced I want to be like you. I was like, I'm not convinced I'm looking forward to what you just presented to me. Like, oh, Bob, here we go, going into heaven, sitting on a harp, playing in the clouds, woo. It's like... Why? I mean, you see what I'm saying? Why are we not more expressive? I'm not talking about pretentious exhibition. I'm just talking about the, having the joy of the Lord. Jesus said, and we'll bring it up, John 15, 11. This is his words to his guys and his followers. Just in John 15, that's his, that's his final words, if you would, before he prayed in John 17 for those who were following. It's the coach's last words before they take the field, so to speak. And this is what he says: These words I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. See, he he wanted his disciples to understand. This is he's got he's in control. There, there's a reason to be joyful. His joy is given to us. Joy speaks of gladness, of of calm delight, um, to be well, uh, to be glad in the Lord, if you would. So. I want to encourage you, joy is a matter of perspective based on relationship rather than circumstances. Uh, happiness, happenstance, those, that's, happiness is related to circumstances and in different situations. Joy is something that resides in our heart. It's something we can have a joy even when going through trials. We have an odd strength and a strange support, this, this joy. Joy can be a support like, oh man, I just know it's going to work out. And people may listen to you, and they're like, "How can you say that and how can you how can you process all that you're going through and have this calmness and, and and really we're told here to rejoice in the Lord let's look at a little bit of how that can come about we're We're gonna catch one more point here, so we've looked at remember your king and long for his return, reconcile with your brethren, rejoice in the Lord and, and now we're going to consider to reflect his nature. Or, to be like him, we see that from the next verse. Let your gentleness be known to all men, the Lord is at hand. Gentleness speaks of you know an element of patience and kindness and mildness, and so if you want to think of it maybe in a better understanding is you know his likeness, his gentleness, where he is at hand. Handle situations, choose to deal with things in a manner that Really, I would say the way Jesus dealt with things, and the way he handled things. He empowers you, enables you as a born-again Christian, the power the person that raised Jesus from the dead, the Holy Spirit, that dwelled within him, dwells within you and me as we're born again. And so, therefore, we can look to see that expression in our lives, his, his um, gentleness. It is a conscious decision, though. It takes effort, thought, and humility. It's easy, can we agree, to let your opinion be known. It's pretty easy to let your opinion be known. It's easy to let your temper be known. Sometimes it's easy to let your criticism or your correction be known. It takes effort, thought, and humility to let your gentleness be known. But yet we have, I believe, we have to be able to, to let it be seen and let it be heard. Um Words without lifestyle is hypocrisy. Agreed? So someone says, I, you know, they kind of convey the gospel in verbiage, but they're a completely different person at work. They're a completely different person outside of a gathering of Christians. And so you're like, man, that guy is not the same. He says one thing and does another. So, so saying it and not doing it is hypocritical. Doing it but not giving credit for it leads to confusion. Lifestyle without words leads to confusion. A quick example. Someone said to me at the truck shop when I was working um, 30 years ago, "Davis got you got religion. Oh, he got religion." And, and that's how they described me. I worked there 10 years before I was a, a follower of Jesus Christ before I was born again, and then I continued to work there for another nine and a half years. And so they've seen this change from the first decade to the second part. He got religion, and and I had really the responsibility to bring clarity to them, to explain to them. I, I, I didn't really get religion. Their perception is I just cleaned up my my I changed my Sunday afternoon or my Sunday morning activities. I, I stopped doing the things on Friday night and Saturday night that would keep me from getting up in the morning on Sunday morning. It was just really a discipline, everything and a lifestyle change. And I, I shared. It's can I just. Tell you, it was. it's not just because I decided to do something different on Sunday morning. And and I, I was just searching for ways to convey to them. It's because God has changed my life. Because I've, I've encountered the living God. There's truth in the person of Jesus Christ. This name that we say in the truck shop in profane manners all day long, there, there's something to that name that I'd like you to know a little more about. And, and I didn't articulate well. I, I didn't, you know, I mean, I'm just working with these guys. But you see what I'm saying? I, I needed to let them know it's not church. It's not just a choice of of doing something different. It's a relationship with the living God. And so I encourage you to to reflect his nature, to be like him, to speak words of life and and eliminate confusion, if you would. May our lifestyle be Christ-like, that his gentleness would be seen through us because it says the Lord is at hand. So verse 6, his likeness, his nature. We see Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So there's this um, instruction to be anxious for nothing, but how do you you not do that? Well, obviously we see from the text there's instruction. How, How do you not do it? But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Anxiousness. It, it, it worries. It's worry. It it, it, it weighs you down. Um, it it it's it's depressing, literally, not clinically, but just metaphorically. And it should need to let it go. We're told in in Proverbs chapter twelve verse twenty five, anxiety in the heart of a man causes depression. And it's not speaking of clinical. It's speaking of just this heaviness. Anxiety holds them down, but a good word makes you glad. A good word brings hope. Worry doesn't work, okay? Worry doesn't work. I did have a guy say to me after service, it was pretty funny actually. He says, well, I had a lady come up to me years ago. She was in her 90s. And after me talking about, her, the pastor actually talked about not worrying, and he, she come up to him and she poked his chest to the pastor and says, don't tell me worry doesn't work. I've been doing it for 90 years and nothing that I've worried about has happened. Okay, <laughs> trying to humorous, but here's the thing. Worry produces headaches, heartaches, indigestion, indifference, discouragement, even depression. And Jesus said, why are you worrying about it? You can't make yourself one little bit taller by worrying about it. Oh, I need to be this tall to ride the ride. Oh, I just, oh I'm just going to keep thinking about it all night. And then tomorrow when I get there... You're going to be the same height. God didn't fail you. Don't worry about it. Don't put the bounds on You know, it's so crazy the things we worry about, the things that consume us. Now, I want to say this real quick. There's a difference between consuming worry, consuming anxiety, and, and a deep concern for someone. Okay, A deep concern, as you can find in Second Corinthians where Paul talks about he had this deep concern for all the churches after all the stuff he would went through. The deep concern, I would suggest to you, the difference would be a deep concern is realizing a serious situation in a tough scenario and knowing I can, I'm just going to give it to God. I'm, I'm handing it off to him. But a consuming worry... It's like, okay, then this is gonna happen and this, it's oriented in my own logic and how I can fix it or how I can orchestrate some type of repair or or some way of taking care of it. So it's it's all on me, it's all on you. And then the more it doesn't work, the more it weighs you down and the more it weighs you down, the more you try to think of ways to get out from underneath it and it's always about our own logic. So how do we deal with it? It's pretty straightforward. But in everything, with an attitude of gratitude, let your requests be made known to God. The product, the result, is the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. His peace, the peace that, that really revives, that speaks of there, and a you know, good word makes one glad, that's weighed down with worry. The peace of God. There's, there's peace with God that comes through Jesus Christ, being regenerated, reborn. And then there's a peace of God is offered to those who have turned to him to walk in that peace. And so got a couple more points. We're going to park it right here, though, and I'll pick it up next week. So as the worship team works their way back up, um, I just want to encourage you, work through this. We'll be in this chapter again uh, next week, working through towards the end of it, picking up with an overlap. But as we gather, and I, I get to share, I'm glad I get to, it's... It's important that we understand that's just the introduction. That's just the beginning. You're going to grow. You're going to gain more when you take what is on your heart, what God has really made more uh, real to you, a light of truth, maybe a portion of the outline, maybe a completely different passage, whatever it may be. But when you sit in the attitude of worship and receiving from the word and he illuminates something to you, take that through your day. Take and dig into it. Use it as if you would. See it as a homework approach, so to speak. And then let that mull through and chew it over. You may want to read this letter. It's a letter of joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Paul was writing from jail, which will cause you to really ponder how can he write these such words in that type of scenario, that type of situation. And then we'll join together next week and dig in. Why don't you stand with me? By way of closing in prayer, Um, I do want to pray, and we'll read it, a a prayer of this actual letter that is so important for you and I. We have came here today, maybe I believe confidently most of us have seen God's faithfulness in our lives. We've seen his hand through trials and difficulties and challenges. But we've also seen we need more of Him and less of ourselves. We've also seen that we need to to grow even more, and that's an encouraging thing. It says in Philippians chapter one, verse nine, there's a prayer recorded. I'll read that, and we'll go right into a mindset attitude of prayer. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense. Till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time this morning. Thank you for your word. Thank you that you minister to us. You serve us. In the midst of heartache and discouragement, you, you open our eyes, you wipe away the tears, and you reveal truth to us, light and hope that can help us through. Thank you, God. And not only that, as you reveal truth to us, you empower us to walk according to that truth. Thank you, God. And anyone who maybe you're catching online or maybe you're here today and you're wondering these things through and considering them. But I have a question. If you died today, would you go to heaven? Would you go to heaven because you put your faith in Jesus Christ? Or would you go to heaven because you're hoping the score sheet worked out well because ultimately you can only enter heaven through Jesus Christ. It begins, it's very simple and straightforward, with the truth you already know. That you need forgiveness of your sins, the things you've done wrong, the things that where you've rebelled against God's instruction for life, against his gift of life. So for that forgiveness can only come from God can only come through Jesus Christ. So we'll begin with agreeing with God. God, forgive me for my rebellion, my rejection, my, my sins against you. Jesus, I, I, I look to you. I believe you are God. I believe you died for my sins. I believe you rose from the dead and conquered death and hell. I don't know all these things, but I'll hold on to those promises you've given. And with that, as you give me this new life, show me how to live this new life. Keep me from going back to patterns and habits. Keep me close to you as your child and you the perfect father. Draw me close to you. Teach me your ways, oh God. May that be all of our prayers, Lord, that we would grow more and more, that we would see you soon face to face, but until we do, may your love be evident in us and expressed through us. It's in your name we pray. Amen,